Welcome to the Purpose and Principles Podcast. I'm Max Brown, and my guest today is Nate Regeer. He has a doctorate in uh, clinical psychology, if I'm not mistaken, and he's the CEO and founding owner of Next Element Consulting, which is a global leadership firm dedicated to bringing compassion into the workplace. And Dr. Regeer is a former practicing psychologist and expert in social emotional intelligence, interpersonal communication, and leadership. He's recognized as a top 100 keynote speaker, and he introduces a, uh, a process called process communication model for, uh, as a certified master trainer. And today we're talking about his new book called Seeing People Through, and I'm sure wherever else we might go, but welcome to the show. Max, thank you. It is a pleasure to be here. Really looking forward to this conversation. I appreciate that. And you know, you and I have been in the leadership world for a long time. Why this book? Why now when there's so much leadership material and content out there? Mm, Yeah. Well, the book has been, the title of the book was discovered, revealed over 10 years ago. And the book has been ready to be written. It's been kind of in the, in the ether for that long. And I just have to tell a really brief story about that because that answers your question about Uh why now and why this book. So one of my colleagues, Jamie Remsberg, she's also a process communication model trainer. And she was up in, I think it was probably eight to 10 years ago. She was up in Michigan doing a grueling series of trainings for us school systems Mm -hmm. every day, same thing over and over with new groups of people. And then going back the next week and it was Friday, she'd been training all week and she wasn't going to be able to go home for the weekend. And so she was going to be alone in a hotel without her family and then get up and do the same thing all the next week. So she was tired. She went out for Chinese food. And when she got the bill and the fortune cookie that comes with the bill, she opened it up and the fortune said, the intention is not to see through people. The intention is to see people through. And in that moment, everything came clear to her, the purpose and principle of why we're here and what we do. And and we knew when she came home from Michigan, she's like, you won't believe this. She put it down the table and we said, that's the book. That's the book we're going to write because that captures everything about why this book, because there's too many frameworks and models that help us see through people. Like we're going to figure them out. Yeah. We're going to maneuver and manipulate them. We have enough manipulation in our world right now. Yeah. What we need more of is seeing people through. And, and describe for me, what does that look like? What does seeing people through look like? Because I'm with you. I'm tired of the manipulation. I'm tired of the, you know, results through people or, mm. you know, like as if, as if the person's just a cog in the machine. Um, and and I, I, I'm with you. I think the words matter. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about compassion later. And it really has a lot to do with that because seeing people through means truly we are in this together in a very profound way. Mm -hmm. Our, our futures are intertwined in each other. Our identities are intertwined with each other. Within each of us is the ability to honor and respect the other one. Mm -hmm. Now inclusion is big. We're, we're moving from tolerating diversity to celebrating diversity to leveraging diversity and Leveraging diversity means we're we're not using you. We are taking advantage of the amazing, wonderful gifts that you were given and what you're built to do. And in order to do that, we really have to know what drives people, what they're passionate about, what they're capable of, and care deeply about that to the point that our futures really are intertwined with each other on teams and companies in communities. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you say to leaders who say, 
um, I don't have time to figure out how all my people operate like that. Um, well, I, I would say if the electrician comes to my house and opens up the breaker box and says, I don't have time to figure out mm-hmm. what these switches run, somebody's going to die um, or get shocked or we're going to have crossed wires. So the more time you take up front to understand who you're dealing with and what you're dealing with, the more time you save later in drama and miscommunication and picking up loose ends and trying to repair bridges that were broken. Um, so it pays off. You know, it's interesting because when your message comes out like this and you kind of been drawn to this, like you say, for years and years, Are you seeing common themes in the organizations you work with where this just hasn't been as transparent as it could be? Um, And I, and I say that because regardless of industry or where I might work, I see, do I do see common patterns and themes and I'm just curious, what are you experiencing when you see these kind of things and then say, man, this is the message. This is what's gotta be out. Yeah. The, um, well, a common theme I've seen since we started Next Element in 2008 is that miscommunication and negative conflict is incredibly costly. Mm-hmm. And most people have no idea the energy and time it consumes and what the consequences are in the workplace because it just feels normal. And because we're just executing habits that we learned growing up that, that are just part of the culture. So we have no idea. Um one of the one of the uh, one of our partners that joined our company a couple of years ago, and, and she's going to retire now. Actually, she she's in is experienced in Lean Six Sigma process management, and she talks about efficiency in systems and eliminating error. And yet, in communication and human systems, the amount of static and error is unbelievable. When you really start looking at it, that's the common challenge I see: is people have cleaned up their technical mechanical systems, but but there's so much waste in the people and communication systems. Yeah. 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 It's it's incredible. And so there are huge opportunities in just how we treat each other, how we work with each other, how we how we operate with each other. And and like you said, there's just so much opportunity to improve that relationship part of this. Yeah, absolutely. And relationships are at the core of productivity, yeah. of rapport, of trust, of teamwork. That's what it comes down to. And boy, hasn't COVID really borne that out? Their relationships is everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and, and I, I don't think we can underestimate that. And I think it's even more glaring with the remote and the physical distancing that everyone's been required to do and how much we actually do um, cherish relationships when we have them, right? And when we, and, and we take, we've taken some things for granted in the past that perhaps in the future we won't take as easily for granted. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, as a leader myself, I've, I've discovered so much over the last six months. I kind of had a good thing going. I think I had a good leadership routine. I thought I had my team going. We were good. We were tight. And then, you know, everything changed overnight yeah. and I've had to adapt. Some of the things that I used to do didn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And I've realized other things that are crucial that I never was doing. And then there's also those those timeless leadership principles mm. that just became even more important, but maybe needed to be um, lived out differently under these conditions. What are some of those things you would recommend for those who have kind of gone through that same transition? What would you say some of those are? Maybe this is the place where that compassionate piece needs to come in, right? I mean, 
you're saying, you know, there's some timeless principles you're thoughtful of or things that you've had to do differently, even because oh. of the changes. Yeah. Um, one of the things I keep rediscovering over and over, you'd think I'd learned my lesson, but I don't, is that in tough times and in crisis, the thing we need to know the most is the thing people are least likely to tell us. And that is, and it's, it's not easy to close that gap. What we need to know the most is not what people are doing, but how they're doing. And that is a conversation that's hard to have. And when, when things get tough and we get separated and everybody's trying to keep their job, we buckle down, we hunker down, we isolate, we do our job and we, we, we start to ignore how we're doing just to do stuff. And as a leader, it takes me a lot. I have to exert a lot of extra effort to create a space and create the invitation and the safety for my team to say, well, here's how I'm doing. Um, and that's not easy information to get, but it's the most important to get right now. Well, what you just said, I, I just want to repeat that for for those who heard that and and they're already rewinding it just to hear you say it again. I can hear, guarantee you. But Nate, when you just said, it's not about checking in on what you're doing, but how you're doing. I just think that's a significant part. And I think this is this is the compassion piece you're talking about. Why compassion? Why, what does compassion look like for a leader? Yeah, thank you. I didn't always think this. I, I didn't always appreciate until I was introduced to the process communication model. And the word process is the key word here. Process is about how, not the what. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about the words we say. It's not about what we're talking about. It's how we're doing it, how we're talking about it, how we're doing. And this model allows us to really get down to that. But why compassion? Because most people don't understand compassion. Most people are practicing, they think they're practicing compassion, but they're not. And most people idolize or look to role models that are supposedly so compassionate, and they're not. Because if you go look at the Latin root of the word compassion, it means to suffer with, mm-hmm. compassion, to suffer with. It doesn't mean to suffer instead of, it doesn't mean to suffer in silence. It doesn't mean, it means to suffer with. We're struggling alongside each other. And so that completely, when you really dig into it, completely changes what compassion really is and what it looks like as a daily practice, as a daily habit um, with ourselves and with the people that we lead. Yeah, that's a big deal. I, I agree with you. And for decades, I've been sharing that same fact, you know, that it means to suffer with. What does that actually mean for all of us? Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to suffer with someone, to be in real service to that individual? Um, and, and I think there's real, real power in that. Do you have a leadership example for those who are listening now and saying, guys, this is getting too warm and fuzzy for me. I'm about to turn you off. You better give me something to you know, help me understand how I can do yeah. this as a leader. Yeah, yeah. Well, the good news about, about compassion for most leaders is it actually is way more than the warm and fuzzy that they thought it was. Mm-hmm. We mostly think empathy, my heart goes out to you, kindness, gentleness, you know, generosity, Mother Teresa, Gandhi, Jesus, whatever. Um, this, Or we think of it as this servant leadership, serve, 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 serve. Never think of yourself. Don't put your ego, don't your ego get in the way. It's all about service to others. And what I like to say is, well, hang on a second, stop the press, because there is documented scientific evidence that what we called compassion fatigue is actually empathy fatigue. Mm. 
that we are burning out because of too much empathy. We're carrying too much of other people's pain, too much stuff that we can't control, stuff that we can't fix and probably shouldn't anyways. Mm -hmm. And it drags us down. But compassion is an act of working with someone in a spirit of dignity Mm -hmm. to build value, to build capability, to build accountability. And this joint process is incredibly rewarding. And uh, medical evidence even shows that people that practice a more of a dynamic, accountable compassion, actually it triggers the reward centers of the brain, like a dopamine hit, and it's energizing, and they feel more purposeful and more valuable. Um, So there's a lot more to it than that. But yeah, I think we need to really get clear about what we're talking about here and and what the, the behaviors are. Yeah, I do too. And I think that what that looks like for different people um, is going to be an important part of this conversation. Yep. And, you yep. know, this next question, it might actually not even, I mean, you kind of addressed it by saying that how compassion is actually very, very positive for everyone that's involved. But what do you say to those who say, man, if I'm compassionate, I, I'll lose my credibility as a leader, or I won't be able to hold me up people accountable? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I would say you're not practicing compassion then Mm -hmm. because the compassion includes shared ownership for problem solving. Compassion includes accountability to other people for our behaviors. Mm -hmm. I was working with one of the largest um, car rental companies in the U.S. and we were were part of an initiative to create a more trusting collaborative work environment virtually. Mm -hmm. And we were working with their call center managers who, who were struggling to hold accountable their call reps Mm -hmm. that had to meet quotas, meet criteria and do all this stuff virtually. And what we come to found out is they were being too nice. They were so understanding, so caring, so empathetic, trying to offer solutions, giving them second chances. And what they were missing was the part of compassion that is, wait, we both struggle, not just me. Um, there are guidelines to meet and I can hold you accountable and talk about deadlines, talk about commitments in a way that doesn't belittle you. It doesn't attack you. It doesn't threaten you. And I can be a resource in a way that doesn't rescue you and create dependence, but I am a resource to help you become more capable. And so when they started actually living full compassion in those relationships, they started looking forward to performance conversations and, and these call center reps started meeting their quotas and then coaching others to meet their quotas. Um, And, and personally feeling um, grateful uh, for that. So I would say to all those people that think compassion is too soft, it's, well, yeah, it is because you're not practicing the full, the full extent of it. Yeah. And, and for me, the, the, the flip of what you just described, the positive energy and the way that people look out for one another in that kind of an environment versus yeah. the competitive nature of other places where people don't trust one another. They don't want to help each other on, on client calls yeah. because certainly I don't want you to succeed more than I do. I don't want to even give my secrets of my sales process to anyone else because I just want to show that I'm capable and I'm the winner here. Right. Or worse yet, a performance, a performance outcome or a performance review where only the top 10% succeed and everyone else is kind of on a different scale. And and who knows what happens if you're not up there at the top 10, you know, I'm, and, and those who are listening saying, well, now you guys just don't like to compete. Um, I, I, I beg to differ. I just think that the way we set up the competition, the way we set people up, you can't tell people, go and do great teamwork and then create a system where they're all competing and don't trust each other. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, 
this whole this whole field of incentives, motivations, how do we create environments where people thrive and collaborate? It does get into personality differences mm -hmm. because competition, just the word competition will excite some people and others will wilt and run away. Mm -hmm. um, but teamwork will excite some and others will want to run away. So it really takes a multifaceted approach that recognizes the personalities of the people whom you want to motivate yeah. on how we set these situations up for maximum teamwork, maximum production, where we're all competing against our goals. Like that Nike shirt said, uh, beat yesterday. Yeah. That's who we're beating. Yeah. Realize that we're on the same team here and, and that we're, we're, we should be working together. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think what you make, a, you make a really interesting point there, because I think there are times when we rely too much on a, a personality profile that might take us a little mm -hmm. bit off base or, you know, like any good tool, I think sometimes all the tools that we have in our, in our toolkit, if you will, can be a used or abused. I often say, are we weaponizing the tools that we have at our yep. disposal yep. or are we actually using them in a way that actually helps us, whether it's an incentive or a recognition or an award of some sort or a personality profile? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. And <clears throat> this weaponizing is something that, we see, and it's not always intentional. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one of my mentors told me once, I'm a clinical psychologist, so I studied lots of models and frameworks and I study them all. He said, remember, the map is not the terrain. And I think that's where we get confused. When we think the map is the terrain, yeah. that's when we start saying things like, well, I'm a high D or I'm an ENTJ or I'm an introvert. So stay away from me till lunch or, you know, whatever. It's like, I am not that. <laughs> it's, it, it's just a modeling or a framework of the terrain. So that's where models can have problems where we don't realize that learning about myself actually increases my response ability. Mm -hmm. Doesn't get, you know, it's, personality is not an entitlement program or some label to hide behind and use against people like we're playing, you know, snowball fight. Yeah. Um, again, which is why seeing people through is the, is the intention and we need better frameworks and better tools to do that. Wow. One of the tools and frameworks you talk about, and you've referred a couple times to it here, um, process communication models. What can you talk us through that a little bit? Help us understand what is a process communication model yeah. Um, and, and why is that such a powerful tool? Yeah, it's process communication model is a behavior-based model of communication and individual differences. Behavior-based is key because it was discovered and developed in the 1970s, actually, by Dr. Taby Kaler, a developmental psychologist. But he discovered it by actually observing behavior, pouring over hundreds of hours of videotape of people interacting with each other in healthy and unhealthy ways. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, was able to mathematically discern patterns, repetitive patterns of behavior. So unlike most models that just have some theory in some person's head, it was actually let the behavior, let the mathematics show us the patterns, yeah. like a weather, like weather forecast or, you know, and that's what makes it so valuable is it's about observable behavior. And the premise is that it's not how we say, it's not what we say, but how we say it that usually makes the difference. And when we can respond to what we see in terms of behavior, we don't have to make assumptions anymore. We don't have to have labels. We can actually adapt and become more agile and talk to people like they want to be talked to so that they can feel heard and so they can feel motivated. Yeah. Can you give me an example of what that looks like? 
in action um, because I love behavior-based models. And I love that they're that you're talking about how do we communicate in a more thoughtful way here. So yeah. what is it? Give me an example of of how I could communicate better as a leader if I'm a trying to be a better coach, for instance. Yeah. Yeah, great. So today I was coaching um, a leader mm-hmm. has a lot of different hats, but this leader, um, their strongest personality type, there's six types and we all have all of them in us to a different degree, but the strongest one for him is called the imaginer. Mm-hmm. And the imaginer is a very introverted type, prefers solitude and, and, and his battery is recharged by being alone without particular structure. And yet his world is always demanding him to structure his time, be present, interact with people. Um, and so he has learned how to do that where he can have his alone time, but when he's interacting with some of his students who have a strong rebel personality type, that's very spontaneous and creative and playful. He has to adapt his language. He has to have a lot more body movement because they respond to the visuals, a lot more slang. Like instead of saying, um, okay, it's time to switch activities. Seem like, all right, yo, 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 we're going to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And they can hear that. But if he says it's time to move to the next activity, the thinker personality types in the room will like, listen, because they're very time structured and they like that. Um, And the others won't even pay attention. So he's learning how to talk differently depending on who he wants to hear it. Um, It's interesting because now we're asking leaders to be able to be thoughtful enough that they can pivot and change and meet the language where the listener's at. I call it agility. Mm-hmm. We call it personality agility because mm-hmm. I have all six of these types within me. It's like I was built to speak six languages mm-hmm. and everyone in the world speaks one of them. Mm-hmm. And so agility means mastering my own personality mm-hmm. so that I can access and mobilize these different energies in me so that I can talk your language. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like go, go into a white elephant gift exchange, right? And I, I pick that gift for each person. and But it's a white elephant. So I don't know who's going to get it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all about how I wrap it, mm-hmm. you know, because I want my buddy to pick that one that totally they're going to hate, you know, just to, just to make them mad. So it's all in the wrapping. And so I think great leaders, what they realize is I know what I want to say, mm-hmm. but how I say it has to be adapted. I have to get agile in how I do that because the message the message, the way the message is delivered makes as much difference as the message itself. So how does this differentiate from a personality profile, perhaps um, another profile that's, that's out there? How does this, is it, is it just another way of saying, hey, at least I understand where I come from, but I'm not trying to overuse the model or, or, or overuse, you know, how I'm being described in one of these six ways, but it is a way of helping me frame how I show up. Yeah, it's much more than just awareness and knowledge. It's about specific behavioral skills to then implement what you know into what you do. Okay. And so most other models, I don't really see anybody break uh, bridging the knowing-doing gap. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of knowledge. Oh, I'm this, I'm this, blah, blah, blah. I have these preferences and I know these people like these things. And I might say, great, so will you show me how your processes and procedures have been adapted based on that. Or let's go to his office and I want to see how you talk differently to him because of that. And they have this blank stare. Mm -hmm. So most models or how they've been presented never answer the question, so what, now what? And that's where it matters. So let me put that to you as we're kind of winding things up here today, make sure that uh, we, you know, we keep, keep in this game. What is, what's the next for you? What's so what, now what for you? 
I am fascinated by what are called um, kernels, behavioral kernels. There's a lot of research been done on this idea of what is the minimum viable behavior that will cause an effect mm -hmm. that can achieve something. And I spent all my, all my academic career learning how to make things as big and complicated and look so smart as possible. And I spent the rest of my life trying to distill it down into the simplest little things people can do that will make the biggest difference. That's, that's what I'm passionate about when it comes to compassion and when it comes to personality differences is what is the simplest, easiest way we can say things and what is the smallest nugget that we can give people that will make the biggest difference. I'm appreciative of this uh, conversation today, and I'm grateful to be speaking with Dr. Nate Regeer on his new book, Seeing People Through. What would you want people to remember as a result of this conversation today? I would, I would say that just, and we've heard this before, but move from the golden rule to the platinum rule. Mm -hmm. And the golden rule says, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Awesome in theory. It's great for empathy. The platinum rule says, do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Mm -hmm. That's a whole nother level because it in involves me leaving my comfort zone and really learning about you, really understanding your world. And then I can truly be a servant leader. Nate, thank you for being on the Purpose and Principles uh, podcast today. You're so welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Where can people find more information if they'd like to get more? Well, we have a website dedicated to the book, seeingpeoplethrough.com, and that's a great place to start. If you're curious, there's all kinds of places you can go from there and get in touch with me. Terrific. I appreciate that. And to all our listeners out there, thanks again for listening in today. Be safe, be healthy, be wise. Have a great day. <laughs>